<laughs> All right, we are uh, happy to host Coach Eric Smith, uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach, sports performance coach at UCLA. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today? Fantastic. All right, happy to have you here. Welcome. Um, so just to kick us off, can you tell us a little, a little bit about yourself, a little bit what, what got you into sport performance? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think very similar story to uh, about 99% of the strength coaches out there. I was like a mediocre athlete, uh, but just somehow had a, you know, I, I realized early on that uh, lifting weights was something that, you know, benefited me both physically, but also, to, you know, from an athletic standpoint. So I, I got into lifting weights uh, pretty heavily, like end of my junior high career, um, into high school and whatnot. And uh, from there, it was just, you know, when I got to college, um, which I went to, to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, uh, just kind of, you know, I, I went in thinking I was going to be uh, an, an athletic trainer, actually, because um, that was really what I knew uh, in terms of working with athletes, uh, not coaching necessarily, but working with athletes on, on some sort of a, I guess, a, a performance side, or at least what I thought. Um, but. I uh, realized that that wasn't, you know, kind of the avenue I wanted to be in. So then I went through and thought I was going to be a physical therapist. Actually, I spent some time uh, in you know, physical therapy in terms of like an internship and being around uh, that profession a little bit as it pertained to athletics and really didn't even know this was a profession until my second, third year of college, um, realized that, you know, there was something called strength and conditioning that really pertained to my interests in terms of like diving heavy on the performance side and kind of uh, training athletes to be better at, at their sport. So I was interested in it early on, didn't really know it was a thing until like literally junior year. And then from there, did a bunch of internships, um, you know, that took me to grad school, went to uh, grad school out in, in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, did another internship out there in Boston, and I think that was what, 2013, yeah? It's 11. Yeah. yeah. 2011. Uh, and that's where I obviously met uh, Coach Anna Reno, um, and uh, you know my my grad school there, and moved back uh, to the West Coast, and you know started off with a, kind of like a paid internship, turned into a little bit of a job at a uh, with San Jose Sharks, and then got the job out in, in Los Angeles, started working in UCLA. I think it was 2000, into 2013. So I've been there two years now, two and a half years. Awesome. Um, so as you know, the, the goal of this conversation and kind of what we're trying to do here is to, to start a conversation on how to best bridge the gap between rehab and performance. So um, for, for people who may not know or just to clear some things up, can you kind of explain what, what a strength and conditioning or sports performance coach does and, and how it looks different in you know, kind of the public sector, the private sector, and a professional setting? Because uh, you've had good experience in, in all three of those. Yeah, for sure. Um... Honestly, a, a strength coach, there is no governing body for our profession, which is you know, a gift and a curse, I think. So honestly, what a what a strength and conditioning coach does can be very different depending on your situation, where you work. So, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, you know, what our job really is is to you know, improve performance markers for athletes. You know, um, a lot of times you'll hear strength coaches say, you know, my job is to, you know, do no harm and, and prevent injuries and all that stuff. And that's a part of it. But at the end of the day, our job is really to make better athletes. So, uh, you know, working at uh, the private setting, which, um, you know, there's basically three different settings for a strength and conditioning coach. 
uh, there's a private setting, and that would be something like an athlete performance. Um, some, you know, my very first job in this industry was at a at a pretty much a, a gym, right? A, a general population gym where we did have you know an athletic component to that, and those were like classes where it was like small groups of athletes, different sports would come in, um, and I would work with those. So there's a private side to things, and then there's the collegiate side, which would be considered the public sector, right? So then. You know, that's obviously where I'm at now, um, where my role could be very different. I'll kind of give you the roles, how they change where you're at. And then there's obviously the professional side, which is a little bit of, it feels like a little bit of both in terms of like it's smaller. Um, so the, the collegiate side is obviously you work with a lot of different athletes. They come in as a team. Um, so there's a high volume of, of athletes. Like right now at, at UCLA, I'm responsible for more than 100 athletes. Um, you know, obviously different sports, but I'm responsible for all of them. Um, and then... The pro setting is a little bit different in terms of, um, you know, it's a smaller, smaller group of athletes, obviously. So your responsibilities are, uh, you know, for them can be more than college because you have more time with them. You're part of uh, the coaching staff and you're involved a lot more. So it feels a little bit almost like uh, you're still there to help them, you know, improve performance. But, you know, the setting is very different because they're already at the pinnacle of their sport. So your relationships and your responsibilities can can be different there, but at the end of the day, you know, what do we really do? Um, it's you know, in the private setting, you know, we're we're assessing everything from you know, uh, movement uh, to you know, different physiological markers of of, of say conditioning, uh, you know, whatever whatever those people need from, from that standpoint. So obviously, strength, power, speed, all that stuff. And that kind of goes for you know, in the private setting to the the public setting to the uh, professional realm, you're really doing that across the board, but you may have different influence in those different, you know, in those particular areas of, of performance enhancement, you know, where you're at. And then strength coaches can really get into, you know, a lot of strength coaches have backgrounds in physical therapy um, and utilize those skills, you know, as well. You know, they bring those to, to, the, you know, to the table as well. Um, but you probably get to you get you get to do a little bit more on that side if you're in kind of a private setting because when you work in college, for instance, there are people that should be there to help you out in terms of like you have an athletic trainer. I have an athletic trainer that I can defer to when it comes to you know different um, things regarding athletes' movement or if there's an injury, obviously with pains involved. That's kind of outside of my realm, really, in a college setting, and I don't shouldn't have to do a whole lot with the athlete there. That should be somebody else, um, but you know, doesn't, I don't want to ramble too much, but it doesn't always work out that way. So you still have to do a lot of, you know, I still feel like I do some physical therapy in certain, in certain areas, um, especially as you connect uh, you know, rehab to performance. If an athlete coming back from an injury, you know, where does that, where does that, that, you know, where does my role versus a rehab professional, such as a physical therapist, you know, that I work with here, you like, where does that, Kind of come together when an athlete is coming back from, say, a broken a broken leg or something like that. You know, where does that come together? That's where it gets a little bit murky in college and stuff too. So um, you're kind of doing it all. But ultimately, a strength coach, you know, we try to increase performance. You know, I think a lot of us see this field, you know, in general and what we do as, um, you know, there there isn't really a whole lot of, of uh, 
there shouldn't be a whole lot of difference between what I do and what you do or what, you know, an athletic trainer does or a doctor does. It should be very, you know, we should all be speaking the same language. But again, um, it doesn't always work out that way. So, you know, we, we end up doing, sometimes we cross boundaries a little bit or step outside our scope a little bit at times. So, but that's kind of how it, I guess the, the field is set up. Hopefully that makes sense. It's not just a bunch of rambling thoughts right there. Cause it's, you know, but that's essentially what, you know, what it is that, that it looks like the landscape. Of the field. Awesome. Um, so kind of segueing off that, um, you were talking about, you know, kind of how you look at movement in kind of the same frame as how physical therapists would. So, uh, the APTA, the American Physical Therapist Association's vision statement kind of talks about optimizing movement to improve human performance or, um, improve, improve quality of life. So, how do you how do you look at movement, and how do you, as a sports performance coach, improve and optimize movement? That's kind of a big question, but just kind of what are your what are your big rocks when you look at movement? Well, I think you know when it comes to like you know when it comes to optimizing movement, I think we have to have a platform for you know what are we looking at from a you know from a movement standpoint. Like you have to look fundamentally at the human body and the way it was designed to move, and I don't think. You know, I, I read that, um, uh, what is that, your mission statement for, for, for American, that, that Physi- the American Physical Therapy Association. Yeah. Physical Therapy, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's a perfect statement, right? Like, we're trying to optimize movement. Now, we have, to have a, we have to speak the same language, though, because I'm trying to optimize movement as well, you know? And you know, when it comes to optimizing movement, part of that is, you know, training certain patterns, right, of, of movement. Like to me, a squat is a pattern of movement that I can actually train to improve, you know, uh, a quality, you know, and so, my roommate just got home, so. Um, and so, you know, uh, it, to me, it, it's it's uh, my platform of movement started with something, hopefully, you know, pretty much everyone's quite familiar with at this point, but the FMS, you know, that was like the first kind of like, okay, that's, an objective platform I can look at and say, you know, this is you know, a starting point for what we're actually talking about in terms of measuring human movement. You know, unloaded, low threshold patterns, right? We're not looking at muscles. I don't really care necessarily how you know, an ankle dorsiflex, plantar flex, but I want to know is how does it do that within a pattern of, of movement? Because sports and life is all about movement, it's not about, you know, one joint doing one thing, it's about the body working together as a whole. So for me, that was kind of how I looked at it initially, was, that was the first, you know, my first kind of, um, uh, I don't know, I guess like a first first look at a system of human movement, and I kind of, you know, grew, it grew from there. So the way I look at, at uh, you know, the body in terms of you know, movement is it's, it's different patterns, right? So and you break that all the way down to the fundamentals. And if you look at like, say developmental kinesiology, which is you know the process of a baby going from literally nothing to upright and gait, you know, looking at each, each developmental stage there, to me that's movement. Like that is ingrained in every single cell in our body. That is you know, the way that every single person, myself, everybody in that room learn how to walk. And so you look at all those stages, like to me, that's the foundation, right? That's, that is, and so, you know, now it becomes how do we how do I train to optimize that? Well, look at each different stage and you look at the patterns that are involved in those stages, and it's it's tough, right? It's pushing, it's pulling, it's lunging, it's squatting, um, you know, and that is movement. So you know, now again, 
I already forgot the question, but my job and, and I think everyone's <laughs> job becomes, you know, how do you optimize, how do you optimize all those different stages, right? So how do you find a way to load those different patterns to make people move better? And sometimes that requires a different tool, you know, that could require manual therapy, that could require, you know, uh, different weights and loads and, and uh, you know, things like that. But ultimately, you're just trying to improve movement patterns. And if you do that first, then that's the foundation. And then from there, you know, um, work towards the, the bigger things, the sexier things, the performance, you know, enhancement type of tools. So, but that's ultimately, I think, where the platform movement comes. But you have to speak the same language because I don't know if, if everybody looks at that the same. You know, to me, it was like a light bulb when I, when I learned kind of developmental kinesiology and figured out that, like, no matter where you come from, you learn to move the same way. Like, there's very fundamental principles there. And uh, I think we should all be speaking on those principles because you know, that's the foundation. Uh, so, anyway, does that make sense at all? Because I feel like I just I'm continue to ramble. You guys can stop me, literally. Yeah, that's Rambling. No, I just think uh, you mentioned developmental milestones. We have our PEDS final on, on Monday, so some of us might start grilling you with the your knowledge of the milestones. Well, that you, about what? Developmental kinesiology? Yeah. Well, that's part yeah. of what we got. Yeah. I mean, it just intuitively, it makes sense to me. Dude. Like, that that makes sense to me. I mean, obviously, you guys have a final on it, so it's important to know that that's how we learn how to move. So I think everybody should understand, at least on a basic level, like, that's how we evolve to, to move, to do these patterns and stuff. And then, so if we, we need to speak on that same language in terms of, that's my platform for assessing movement, you know, it's like, you, know, you should be able to squat. If you can't, somewhere along the line, you lost that ability. Because we all had that at some point, you know. And so, kind of taking a step back and then figuring out, you know, where where do we go wrong, you know. And uh, But we have to speak that way, because I think, you know, we have to understand that that process was, you know, part of everybody. And that's kind of, we can use some of those principles to enhance our ability or our athletes, or our patients' abilities so. Do you talk to your coaches about your sport specific like, movements that you want to utilize, or are you kind of on your own developing their uh, programs for them about, I feel like every sport's going to have different movements that you want to utilize specific to that sport? For sure. I mean, again, I still think there's that foundational level, like we're doing things the same, like everybody's lunging and squatting and you know, doing this type of stuff. So you. But at the end of the day, yeah, there are, you know, uh, specificity in, in programming, like the way I get specific in terms of training for different things about the sport are, are the, very important. And so I definitely talk to coaches about that. Um, and generally they talk to me about that because honestly, like a lot of sport coaches can believe that like that's what's going to separate them is like this specific exercise, you know. And so, um, so it's my job to obviously understand uh, certain things about the, the kinetics or the kinematics of the sport and then, you know, show the coaches those and, and you know, it makes them happy. And, and yeah, it can be a, a really big benefit. But like some of the sports, I'll just say water polo, like there's no research in that area, really. Like there's some murky research about like certain exercises helping them uh, that are like really, really sport specific. And most of the time those are in the pool. So if I'm not doing anything with pool, then like, what am I doing? Uh, you know, that's really going to transfer to a positive benefit. But there are some things that you know we've done um, 
I'll just use water pool as an example because when I, I went to I went to Korea with these guys and I filmed them underwater and we did some cool stuff in the, in the weight room from like we did some very specific sled drills for different conditions, uh, different like throwing, you know, medicine ball throwing drills, um, kind of putting their bodies in different different positions that like we saw were at least like from a biomechanical standpoint very similar to the position they would be in. Um, and the coaches love that stuff. Like they eat that stuff up 100%. But at the end of the day, like, you know, overuse injuries and all this stuff are very common in sports. And I think part of that is because we are too specific. You know, I think if you're only doing more specific stuff, you're limiting the range of motion of, that, of your body. And so you need to make sure you're obviously training full range of motion. So I think, again, on some level, like, no matter what sport it is, there's still very, very basic things that everybody is doing to, to obviously train, train the body and the joints through, through good full range of motion and stuff. But coaches eat that stuff up, no doubt. Do you find yourself working uh, with, when you work with the sports teams? Do you ever have to, uh, do you look at it as a team like dynamic or do you have to, do you try to, um, if you see a, like an anomaly that a specific athlete has, do you have to work with that athlete to try to get that fixed first and then move them, continue them forward? Or how does that work if you see something where uh, one athlete is behind or something like that in, in your group training that you're doing with your specific sports teams? Gotcha. Yeah. So like in terms of like training level, basically, so you have a, a broad scope of like you have 30 athletes. Are you saying like one athlete is really, really uh, mediocre or beginner, I guess, in, in what I do and then one athlete is super advanced? How do you cater to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we so we have like a system. So I have a system like I call it a movement hierarchy that basically again we talk about patterns. Like and I train patterns. So like if I'm training a squat pattern, I may have you know five of my athletes in kind of the upper echelon of the pattern, which would be like a back squat, and then I may have a complete novice that is no you know should definitely not have a, a bar on their back or even on you know even a front squat or whatever. And they may be doing like something like a goblet squat where they're holding the weight out in front of them. It's a little, uh, it's, it's what I would consider would like to be a, a regression, right? So it's, it's very less complicated. It's not loaded as heavily. It's uh, a little more basic of a movement, but they're still squatting. So both, both ends of the spectrum are still doing the same exercise, but it's more appropriate one athlete versus the other. And that's what we use here. Uh, that's what I use with all my teams in UCLA, which kind of allows me to individualize the program because I have that for every every exercise uh, or every movement, I should say, has kind of a, a, a tier foundation to it. So it allows us to individualize the program, even though I have, say, like water polo, for instance, again, 36 athletes can be up one time. You know, not all 36 should be doing the same thing, but, you know, to keep order, obviously, and to, uh, to give people the most appropriate thing, you know, that's kind of how we do it is based on that technique. So. It works out, but you have to have a plan going in. You have to know that going in. And to be honest with you, a lot of strength coaches don't do that. They just don't. It's really hard to manage a room sometimes and, and to keep things you know, flowing the right way when you have athletes doing different things. But I think, uh, you know, in my experience, and I know Anthony, we did this when we were at Boyles, we had, that was the system, and that was just, that was the expectation. So that's kind of what I implemented when I got to UCLA, and now it's great. I, have, I could have five athletes doing five different things at the same time, but you know, it's, it's still manageable. It's kind of that's kind of how it works. That, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Eric, you had mentioned um, 
you said that you'll you'll put your athletes through a screen and you'll take a look at it and if they have a deficiency somewhere, I think your example was their squat pattern doesn't look quite right, so you don't want to advance them. Is that where a physical therapist comes into play or do you work with a physical therapist or what do you do with that patient at that or that athlete at that point and say, okay, we're right, is it like you just said you do a regression and you go to a goblet squat? Or is it okay, this is like where is a physical therapist going to help you most in what you do, and when do you pass them on to that physical therapist? I mean, in a perfect world, yes, like you definitely utilize the skill sets of a physical therapist in that, in that situation. Because, you know, it's it's tough, you know, say I it just use an example, and I know I don't know why we always go to squat, I love that we always talk about squat, but like, yeah, for sure, if say, say a, a, uh, an athlete can't squat well, right, I need to regress them to something that's more appropriate for them. But I still got to take into consideration the forces that are involved, the physical demands of the sport. And so sometimes it gets really, you know, for me, when I, when I move somebody you know, from uh, you know, a higher threshold exercise to a lower threshold exercise, I still have to take into consideration, you know, moving them out of that. And so for me, I'm always looking for other ways to get that training effect, you know. Um, but in the back of my mind, if they're not in pain yet, I still, I still want to work on mechanics of that so they can get them to because you know it's ultimately we're finding something that is a red flag and so ideally a physical therapist does come in and and, and utilize their skill set to improve that pattern because again we're just we're just training a pattern right that everybody should like that's how you and i have to speak on the same level because uh, to be honest with you some you know some people look at a squat and they say it's, it's an exercise i'm like no it's a pattern we just load it different ways so like if you believe that you know and uh humans should be able to change levels and squat then you know you should understand that that's important so like if they can't do it then yeah ideally bring a physical therapist in and they do whatever they need to do from an assessment to a correction standpoint and we speak the same language there and uh, we fix the problem. But I mean, that's a perfect world, right? That's a world that is very rare to be in because generally, you know, we look at a PT's role and we say, hey, that's just, you just work with rehab and pain and whatnot and all that stuff. But in my mind, it's like, why not? We, we're catching these things. These are red flags. Like, let's work on these things together and you do think some things on your end that's that caters to your skill set and I do things on my end. We work together, but you know, ultimately we're getting the best out of that. So yeah, that's where I believe a physical therapist would definitely benefit. Not like that in college. You know, we don't have that in college. So that model, that's where I think uh, strength coaches get out of their uh, area of expertise and they try to do it all. That's not. That shouldn't be our skill set. You know, so. But that's kind of it. It does get it gets a little bit murky with that. You know, in the college setting. So you kind of touched on on some of those things, but in, in general, what does that that optimal sports performance team look like to you? You know, with the integration between medical and and performance and sport coach. Well, I think this just like an optimal, I guess an optimal model would be, you know, to have the same kind of uh, you know you've got to have the same values first and foremost, but you have a team of people that have the same values that work in the same vicinity, right? So hopefully the same room um, that consists of people with, with you know, different but 
I guess, complementary skill set. So I think it becomes, you know, having a, a strength coach or a sport performance coach um, that works alongside a physical therapist uh, that has an understanding of sport and the demands and kind of, you know, the, I guess, what goes into the training side enough where we can communicate. And that also requires me to have enough of an understanding of kind of, you know, the physical therapist world and where, where they come from, um, you know, within there. Um, and I think, you know, having someone like that on staff is, is huge. Uh, also having, say, a, a sport nutritionist that, again, thinks on the same level to some degree and has an understanding of, of the different areas and physical therapy and strength and conditioning. And then having a, um, a sports psychologist, you know, I think that would be ideal and maybe two of those for each, uh, each role, working together in the same room, trying to get, you know, the same thing. We're all just trying to, to improve the performance and get the team works together, has the same values, speaks the same language, and understands kind of, uh, oh, an athletic training, obviously, I think an athletic trainer should be thrown in that mix, too. So it's a team of people that all work together um, in the same room and kind of have, again, that understanding, that complementary uh, uh, working relationship to be able to try to improve performance. And it should, it should be a constant backup, you know, even with athletes that aren't in pain, you know, because we're, we're going to see people that have dysfunction all over the place. It's never like it's, no one in the world has a perfect team, a perfect you know set of people. But I think it has to be back and forth where every day we're all involved in, different, in our different areas with, with different athletes. So that's to me a perfect world. That model is only kind of starting to surface. I know Ant, you know like the, the Atlanta Hawks, or my old roommate just got hired on. I mean that's they're all buddies. They all do the thing. But at the end of the day, they're like. A team of people that like just send athletes back and forth. It's kind of an open door policy working back and forth. But at the end of the day, I think we're the last line of like, hey, we're always competing for performance. Like we're always trying to improve performance. That's what they're paid to do. You know, what they're what we're here to help them do. So, to me, that's the perfect world. That's the model that I think is important. Like, should be kind of come you know, next few years. But it's, it's we're so far behind. That's crazy. Well, everybody does their own thing right now in their own sector of the field. So that's why it's kind of really broken. That's awesome. Um, I think kind of, you know, I know you follow Charlie Weingroff's work as well and kind of what they're doing up with uh, Canada basketball, but I love what he says about it is that it's, it's, it needs to be egoless, right? It needs to be that it needs to be an honest interpretation of who's best uh, for each situation for each athlete at that time. And, and that person who has the expertise in that frame needs to be taking the lead yeah. at that moment, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think, you know, I used to be, I guess like a couple of years ago, I used to try to do it all like where I'm like, man, like I could see, I understand that there's some function to this athlete, I can see it. I mean, there's athletes that I have like, where, you know, I could see that they're dominant on one side, their muscular development's bigger on one side, it limits them on these patterns, yada, yada, yada. Like I'm seeing this stuff, but like, and I used to try to take that on, but I, I, now I'm just like, I don't know how to fix that. Like, I'm okay saying that. Like, that's not my role. I don't know how to fix that. You know, I, I don't know. They're so heavily patterned at this point that they need an intervention that's beyond my skill set. And I should be confident to say that's okay, but you don't always work with a team that you, honestly, that you don't work with a team that you trust enough to take care of that, even from, from their side, you know, from their side, even though that should be their skill set. 
So I think you end up taking on more and more things that, you know, trying to help the athlete when you, know, you really can't help them a lot at that point. So like, yeah, it should be, a team should be egoless, but it's not. You know, I think it's coming, like I said, I came into this job and it's a different department than athletic training. Different department than, than our physical therapists that work. We don't work in the same room. You know, we don't talk the same language. It's, it's you're coming from two different angles, two different experiences, backgrounds. It makes it tough. So it's got to be egoless, but you got to have the same things in mind. Like you're trying to improve performance and how are you going about it ultimately? And if I, I need to understand your side, you need to understand my side. We've got to come together. But yeah, that's the perfect model. It's not like that in real life, you know? So it'd be nice if, if both parties or all different parties involved thought the same way, but there's a, there's so much you can go, it's crazy, you know? So, I mean, on my end too, I, you know, I got, I, I think I'm good at what I do, so I'm going to have input too. But yeah, at the end of the day, the best person should be the one stepping forward and being like, hey, we can fix this. Yeah. So there, but um, So, in, in uh, moving forward, what are some so for students, so people who are you know are learning movement and are getting into the performance realm and seeing how that relates to uh, to um, physical therapy in our in our future profession. Do you have any uh, good book recommendations for us who are getting into performance? I can't. I can't even hear you. You're cutting out. Oh, sorry. Do you have any good book recommendations for us uh, who are getting into performance? For? Performance. Like a fundamental. For, uh, from a physical therapy side, learning about strength and conditioning? Yes. Oh. Uh, man, keep it basic. I think Boyle's books probably covers quite a bit, huh? That would be yeah, one of my biggest ones. Advances um, in functional training? Yeah, advances in functional training. Because I just think it covers, like, it, it just, it's, it's, it's a great starting point because it's so basic, but it also gets people thinking the right way, I think, about our industry and what we do. So I think advances in functional training would be my number one, you know? Um, yeah, that would be my number one for sure. Especially if you, know experience, if you don't have much experience with the performance side of things, like that would be a great way to look at things you know, from a starting point, for sure. Awesome. And I know you dive into some of the, the rehab uh, content as well. What's a, what's a book you recommend on that, on that side of the coin? I think the Yonda Approach. Um, I think the Yonda Approach book was like big time, you know? Um, you, you guys read that? Have you read that? Or is that involved in the curriculum no, at all? No, it's not. No? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that kind of outlined a little bit, well, yeah, the on approach, and then we read, you know, we read Sarman's book in grad, in grad school. I read Sarman, Joey Sarman's book, Movement Impairment Syndromes, kind of outlining the different, I guess, the different sections of physical therapy or the different thought processes of physical therapy, you know, the structural versus the functional. Um, we read those two and really paralleled those in one of our classes. And, you know, one was more of a neurological model, one was more of a biomechanical model, but those two books were big time. And I, I just think, you know, we're always trying to influence the brain. So to me, the neurological model made more sense. I mean, not made more sense, but like it, it resonated more with me from uh, from a training standpoint, and so that's where the Yonda approach was just such a is such a good book, and it's an easy read, not that hard to read, honestly. So 
that'd be my my recommendation, I guess, for whatever that's worth. You know. Awesome. And uh, something I really have always respected about you is you're really huge into self development and leadership development. So do you have a book recommendation along those lines for us? Good. Read John Wooden's book on leadership. No doubt, the number one, one of the best books I've ever read. Um, it's it's funny that I'm at UCLA because I read his books. And when I was an undergrad, I was reading John Wooden books. And like, if you don't know John Wooden, he's a legendary, legendary guy. He's one of the best coaches that ever ever lived. Big basketball coach at UCLA. But he wrote a book called uh, John Wooden on Leadership, and it's kind of outlines his, uh, you know, his pyramid of success. And it's no doubt one of the best books of. Leadership. It's the best book of leadership I've ever read. I've read it probably a dozen times now. So that would be my number one book to read on that. It's really got so many good principles in there, working with people and building a, a you know, strong foundation for just the way you build you know, your, your life, really. So it's great. Awesome. Um, just one more question, then we'll open it up to, to questions from everybody. Um, do you have any just kind of overriding advice to us for people getting you know, into performance um, and kind of looking to, in the future, work with a strength coach? What, what, as a strength coach, what, what do you want to see, what qualities do you want to see out of a, as a physical therapist that's ideal for you to work with? I mean, I think some of the, one of the rarest things is people that understand training, right? Uh, and not on a level of like that we understand, you know, it doesn't have to be like, like a, a super deep understanding, but like an appreciation for kind of what's involved in preparing people for, for athletics. You know, at this, like at this level, it's, we're playing violent, like, like very, very uh, demanding games, you know, and, and what goes into that is you have to have a, a good, under, a decent understanding of what's involved in the training side of that. And so like, you know, I think we're always criticized back and forth on, you know, like pushing the athletes too hard or doing things that are, you know, just kind of violent, you know, and what we do, but we kind of have to in certain certain ways. And so people that have an understanding of that, I don't know many, there's not many physical therapists I've worked with that actually train, you know, that actually train themselves to, a, to at least a basic level. And I don't, I'm not disrespecting anybody, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, it's the same you know, we just don't see it as much. Like our, our physical therapists and our athletic trainers don't, they don't train at all. Like they're drinking soda in the training room and stuff like that. And to me, that's like, you should have an appreciation and understanding that there is, you know, that what the qualities involved um, in the sport are and how that needs, how that's demanding for us to, to really dedicate to that. But that to me is the is the number one thing. Like, do you have uh, appreciation, an understanding on a basic level of what's involved in preparation for these violent, challenging, demanding games? You know, um, because there, you know, the the gap is to me pretty big between you know pain and, and rehab and then performance enhancement. Like, there's just a big gap in between there that I don't think it's it's um, uh, doesn't get bridged very well. You know, and so it goes both ways. I need to have an understanding of, of really of the rehab side, but I think the rehab side has to have a stronger understanding too of, of what's involved in the preparation, not not throwing together these you know, outlandish like protocols of, of return to play. You know, that's such an important time. So to me, that's it. Advice: spend time in the in the weight room, and you'll learn. You know, I just like I try to spend time in the like I try to spend time in the clinic when I was at. 
uh, when I worked with, with physical therapists when I was in an outpatient clinic, I spent a ton of time, like I interned with, with, uh, with physical therapy and that was a huge learning experience for me because it just put me on that, on that level of thinking for physical therapy, you know, and what they, what they did. And the people who are involved in the athletics on there, uh, you know, they got to see, I think, a little bit more of what was demanded of the training side just by me being around them. So if you can, like, volunteer or at least hang out, like, if you get a college job or whatever, like, just hang, just go train in the weight room, like, do all your exercise in the weight room, you know, like, and get around the strength coaches and learn a little bit more about that side of things. That would be my advice, is just spend time there, you know? Awesome. All right, questions? Yeah. So What's your advice for me, though? You know, I want to know real quick what, like, what would be, you know, where is everyone's head? Like, I have zero idea about anyone's background other than you, Ant. So, like, you know, what is the perception of our field? What is the perception of my role in this field, too? You know, that's what I want to know from, from your standpoint. That's quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a continuation of the rehab process. Like, so that's why when you were talking about the interplay between strength and conditioning coaches or performance coaches, PT, like, I want to be able to trust, if I'm going to work with an athlete, I want to be able to trust the performance coach to follow along the guidelines, but also, like, also change it for how you see fit. So we know, so we have a basic understanding of the same stuff, but obviously once I pass it on to you guys, I want you to do your thing with them, but I also want to kind of have a control with that, if that makes sense. So I want to say, these are what I want to see, like, in six months, this is what I want to see from a person who just tore their ACL. But also, I know that you're working with them one-on-one -on -one more often than I am now. So I want you to be able to change it based on what you're seeing. So you're okay. I, I only caught the tail end of that because I don't know if the, the, my end or your end, the video is cutting out quite a bit. But um, but you're saying, can you just kind of sum that up real quick because I can't really hear you too much. So actually. once I give you like our, our protocol that we have to give for an athlete, I want you to be able to use your judgment or trust that you can use your judgment to change up, change the protocol or change the exercises based on what you see from the athlete. Because once I get them past the, the basic stuff that PT has to do, it's all in your hands then, and we can only kind of monitor from a, from a distance because we're not we're no longer no longer working with them. Right, and see, I mean, and I get that and I understand that, and I don't like I just part of me hates that because like you know yeah like we'll just say like. If, I'll, I'll take a guy, one of our guys that got a, a, a tore his meniscus, you know, playing soccer, was doing his rehab. You know, where does that gap get bridged? We understand that, you know, the, the most because um, he hurt his meniscus again uh, two times in a row, right? We all we all know, you know, I know that the number one, you know, number one uh, predictor of injuries of previous injuries. So like that's such a delicate thing when we return them to athletics. But like, does a when you're when you're sending them out your door to, to me, you know, do you understand basically what is required of them to play that position? You know, and and I that's where I come in and say, hey, here's what's required from a fitness standpoint. You know, that athlete is a you know, right midfielder. They run X amount of meters. You know, their uh, you know the forces involved in their change direction. Like you know about that. Do you understand how many times they change direction in a game? You know, do you understand, you know, how far they run or, and, and how much of that is high intensity, low intensity activity, you know, because I think 
in order to bridge that gap, when they go out your door and come, you know, come to me, in order to bridge that gap optimally, we have to understand. We have to both understand what's required, you know. And then it becomes that's not a it's not a, a it's not a thing that we can just you know you have your plan, I have my plan, and then it, it comes together. Like there's going to be days where that athlete doesn't sleep well that we need to manipulate the plan. So how does that work? You know, or there's days where you know they're they're just uh, they just don't recover from, from what we gave them, so we, or they have pain in something, and so we need our plan. But you know, it's I would like to see it more integrated at that point. You know, of like instead of just like you know, hey, I did my end. They have full range of motion. They have you know, they have strength. Like but that's kind of how it is. Like I don't. Hopefully, this stays in the room. But like that's kind of how it is right now. Of like you know, hey, they passed this strength, you know, this strength test, this range of motion test. You know, so hey, they're good with you, and then, you know, they're cleared to do certain activities on the field, and I'm like, how is that even a thing? Like, just because you have full range of motion, you know, and and you're able to, you know, pass some isometric strength tests, like by no means are you ready to play this sport. Absolutely not. Like the forces, the direction, like everything involved is crazy. So, I, I think there needs to be a little bit more of, of coming together, and that's I think where we need to at least have an understanding and appreciation of what's required of them and then you and I can work together more in that little time frame of like actually getting them back to playing because I mean, they're likely to just get injured again and whether that's in three months or one week, like it's gonna happen, you know, we know that. So, you know, I, I get that, yeah. So I, I think we need to come together there, in my opinion, more involved, you know? I think that's I think that's probably the biggest thing is you kind of gone and hit on it with the what I would expect and maybe it comes from the the background but um, is that there's communication throughout the whole process so then once a patient is done with me and yeah they've cleared everything they need to clear and it's on to you I would hope to expect and maybe this like you said this is just in an optimal world but I would hope that you would continuously update me on how that athlete is doing and seeing what faults you see with them so that we can talk together into, oh, okay, so that's not working very well or he's having difficulty in his cutting, so what if, what about this idea? And you can kind of bounce things off together, but having that constant communication is probably the most important thing that I would expect or hope to see. But like you said, maybe that's different because people's heads get in their way or whatever, so. Yeah. Hey, can you guys check, can you check the internet connection over there? Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's super, it's cutting out pretty good. Mine says it's good, but I don't know. But I, I, I got, I got most of that, and you're right. Like, you know, like we had, we had like a grade one, in, uh, grade one hamstring strain um, in season. This is where it becomes super important of like, planning out our day to day of like, you know, hey, we got six days for that athlete to play again. You know, what's our day-to-day -day look like? And that's where physical therapists and strength really got to come together when the pressure is involved. And it's so important for us, again, it's but like, I would like to see more understanding, especially if you're working in athletics, like more understanding of what the requirements of the sport are, you know? I was just looking at my testing data from, from preseason and our fitness, I was looking at our fitness testing yesterday with somebody, and I just, you saw that like, guys who scored super low on a fitness, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy got injured during the year. That guy got injured during the year. So like, there's so much that's like, you know, we have to know what's expected of them. And if they're not able to reach that, then, you know, on a united front, we have to speak to the coaches because they're always on the chopping block of like, 
you know, they want to win games. Like they're not, they don't care if the guy's 80 percent. They want him to play if he can play. You know, and so like it's really, it becomes at the higher level, it becomes really, really uh, delicate. And like you got to be a team. You know, and it's just so hard to, so hard for everyone to think on the same page. You know? But that's ideally, you're right. That's like how we should. I think part of the issue is like how we define our role because like for PTs, like performance is a very, very small spectrum for us. So like we're used to when we get somebody back at baseline, that's where we that's where our goal was, to get them back to baseline. But for performance wise, that's not really enough as what it's sounding like that. We can't just get them back to the full range of motion and get them off to you. We need to be working more aggressively with them and progress them further before they're ready to go just into a straight position. Right. Yeah. And so baseline, you know, I guess we got to understand what, what defines them as baseline. You know? um, if you're in the athletic setting, baseline to me is like the minimal requirements for the sport, you know, the minimal requirement. That should be our, uh, both of our baselines. You know, if you're, at, if you're working with, you know, mom and pop, whatever, uh, someone who's got back pain that, you know, their job is super aggressive, like very quickly best job or something like that. Their baseline is way different, right? So, like, if you work in athletics, though, like, what does that baseline look like? Because if it doesn't look like, you know, the minimal requirement for the sport, then I think we're not thinking something like that. You know, because, I mean, that's what's going, that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for is performance. No matter what side of the coin you fall on, like, we're still trying to get them to a point where we feel comfortable and confident with them being able to perform, you know? And if, and in my job is to take them above that baseline, right? That's kind of how I see it is like, hey, I want all my athletes to, to move well enough and to be you know, efficient and have a you know, good level of strength, conditioning, yada, yada, yada. But then in my job is to push that baseline even further to create more of a, you know, what I would call a buffer zone for injury and, and performance. So that, to me, that's like, I don't know. If that makes sense, like, we have to see what the base, we have to understand what the baseline is and both believe that our job is in athletics the minimal requirements of playing the sport, you know? Because honestly, like, when, you know, if, if an athlete gets re-injured after an injury, if, if an athlete gets re-injured after coming back, like, we should both look in the mirror and say, what do we do? You know, what do we not do or what did we do to put that athlete back at risk, you know? Because if an athlete, you know, goes through a rehab protocol, does does great, but goes back out and gets hurt again. I think that's both our fault. If you don't if you don't agree on that, then you know, like, well, hey, they passed this this strength test and they you know they had good range of motion and whatever you know. To me, it just it doesn't add up. You know, just because they did something with you and, and did a you know pass the test, right, doesn't mean they were physically ready to go back. Obviously, because they got hurt. Again. So like that's both our fault. You know, and so. A lot of times, if you end up working in college as a physical therapist, like, once you clear them, it's a dangerous world. Because once you clear them now, you send them to me, the coach is thinking, hey, they're ready to go. They're cleared from rehab, and now they're ready to go. So I'm, like, trying to, you know, play catch-up and, and deal with such ridiculous volumes that the athletes are we're putting them through right when they get cleared and trying to manage that. And it's scary. So I think, like, there has to be that last week or two before they actually get fully cleared to go back and practice. We have to be really working together there and being like, you know, hey, just because you did three sets of 10 kettlebell swings, like, they're not ready. Like, that's not enough. Like, we have to look at 
direction stuff, the volume has to be this much before I feel comfortable sending them back out and blend. But if they get hurt again, that's our fault. 100%. Do you think it's part of that the coach is not understanding the process? Because I talking about that you guy you had a handful of strength. Yeah, he might not have any pain or he might have all the strength back, but just because he has it doesn't mean his hamstring is healed. Like tissue healing takes a lot longer than just six days. So does that kind of go into the conversation with the coach? Like, hey, he might feel okay, but his body's actually not right. It's cutting out. I didn't hear it. Kind of got the gist of the question, but I didn't, I didn't hear it. I didn't know the coach. So. He wanted to kind of know what that conversation looks like with the coach. So in terms of if, if the athlete gets cleared and the athlete's pain-free, the coach thinks he's ready to go, but tissue's not healed, he may not be up to uh, a parameter to be back in your opinion. How do you handle that conversation? If uh, what the conversation looks like with the coach and then what, I didn't get anything after that. Because, because the coach thinks that they're, they're pain-free and ready to go. So how do you explain that they are uh, not fit to play in your opinion? It's... How do you explain if they're pain-free, ready to go? What does that conversation look like with the coach? If the coach thinks they're pain-free, then that dictates that they're oh, ready okay. to go. But in your opinion and the physical therapist's opinion, they're not up to a performance parameter to play. How do you yeah. explain that? That's super tough. I mean, you know, again, speaking from this situation that I'm in, like one of our best players, you know, you're more explosive athletes than the ones that the hamstrings to go right so like coach just wants them to play uh you know thinks that they're ready to go you don't feel confident with that what do you how do you have that conversation it's tough i think like um you have to have you have to be confident in the decision that you make and you have to be very uh very understanding of like you know the coach is always the one who's going to get it like if anyone's going to get fired for a bad season it's going to be a coach it's not going to be a strength coach probably not going to be a pt so you have to understand that side of it. How do you have a conversation? Try to limit them on, you know, a minute potentially. Um, we monitor athletes, so like I monitor our soccer players, and so I have a baseline criteria that I believe. Like I'm looking at how many sprints they make, you know, uh, what type of distances they're running, and I can actually catch that live. And so, you know, generally I say, you know, I. I, uh, I give the coach minutes because minutes is easy, but I need to know what a full game would look like if they played a full game. So like, if I know that they're going to run 30 sprints in the first half, in general, that's their average, then I would be like, hey, they put 45 minutes, or maybe I want to limit them to that. So I try to use a little bit of that um, involved, and that's my recommendation. But let me, let's be honest, like that's a recommendation that gets thrown out the window in a, when you're losing and your best players get talking about that and that happened to us multiple times right so it's it's tricky really tricky um you, you cross your fingers and uh you say a little prayer and hopefully it doesn't happen again and you deal with it that week but it's such a that's what in season is where there is some really murky waters really murky waters so that's where it becomes super super tough you just and the coach has to trust you like really trust you there because again their their job's on the line you've got to understand that questions you can't can't thank you enough for your time man um this was super helpful for all of us and i think we got a lot out of it and loved your perspective on things and uh i forgot to say earlier congrats on the water polo national championship back to back yeah. <laughs> oh yeah oh, <laughs>
All right, man. Well, thanks again. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate uh, everybody listening to my rants. So, we got something <laughs> out of that. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Have a good night. Thanks. Thanks, man. Take it easy, huh? Yep. Yeah.